spring is in the air and spring training is here. A lot of you in South Florida are going to be driving on the highway back and forth, probably about an hour, an hour and 15 minutes if you're headed over to Roger Dean Chevrolet Stadium or even the ballpark of the Palm Beaches. And if you are doing that, you may as well consider getting yourself into a pre-owned vehicle. And the place to buy one, if you're listening to this podcast, is happycarsflorida.com. Happy Car, which is located... 203 West State Road 84 in Fort Lauderdale and is owned by my buddy Louie, who I have been buying cars for for 20 years. Those of you who listen to this podcast should know that last week, one of you went in and bought a car from Louie. So thanks for doing that. Thanks for mentioning me. His phone number is 954-800-2449. Again, the phone number is 954-800-2449. Whether you have good credit, bad credit, or no credit whatsoever, it doesn't matter because you know why? When you buy a car from Louie, he finances the car in-house. You don't have to go anywhere. Give him a call right now, 954-800-2449. Check out the website, happycarsflorida.com. Guess what? If you don't see a car that's on the website and you want to drive something different, call Louie, tell him Craig sent you, he'll get the car for you. You'll be driving out of the lot the very same day. Happycarsflorida.com, 954 800 2449. Go check out Happy Car and drive away happy. Hello, baseball fans, and welcome back to another episode of Swings and Mishes, our first in the month of February here in 2020, which means we are that much closer to pitchers and catchers reporting next week for the Miami Marlins. I am Jeremy Taché, your producer, joined by Craig Mish, as always. And Craig, an exciting week in baseball. Obviously, we're getting things going toward pitchers and catchers. So what is your excitement level right now as we ring things back up here uh, with swings and misses? Yeah, I'm very, very excited, as you could tell in my voice. I don't know. This is, <laughs> this, is, this is always my voice, so I'm not really sure if I get too up or too down. But, yeah, next week it's, it's on. Um, you know, we'll here on the podcast, of course, have tons of coverage from spring training. And I will back that all up with with me being out there. As everybody knows by now, uh, this is not the only media work that I do. I also host another show, believe it or not, in the morning, which is a baseball-themed fantasy baseball show over on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network and Sports Grid. And so, um, you know, I'm thinking I'm going to be doing some live shows from from Jupiter and from the uh, 15 ballpark of the Palm Beaches, too. So... This is the time of the year, Jeremy, where I tell my wife and I tell my son and I tell my daughter, listen, you just got to hang in there until Mm -hmm. opening day, because for the next almost two months, there's going to be a lot of trips an hour or an hour and 15 north, because this is really, for me, one of the, my my most fun part of the year. I mean, I I, will talk about spring trade, but I, I, it's the best. I mean, these people and who are crotchety and, oh, it's too long, uh, it is the most beautiful time of the year. We have the opportunity in South Florida to see four really exciting teams. The, the South Florida, the Marlins, the Cardinals, the Astros, the Nationals. There's intrigue. There's interest. There, there's what more can you ask for? And the, and the ballparks are beautiful. And, and, and I am just, yeah, really always excited for that. The players are just so more relaxed. And from a media perspective, from a fan's perspective, it's it's a great great time of the year and and yeah I mean at the end the last week Jeremy it's it's like one week too long because 
the guys are like basically done at the very end and they're right. ready for the big league season. I get that part of it, but yeah, there, there's nothing like it. And I've been doing spring training now for almost 40 years. I mean, we're going wow. on almost 40 years of me being a fan or me being in the media. And I always look forward to this time of the year for sure. It's the best time of the year. It's, it's, it's like Christmas for the baseball fan. So big news in baseball last night. Not Marlins related necessarily, but, you know, we can relate it back to it. And that Mookie Betts was traded in a blockbuster trade, not just Mookie Betts, but Mookie Betts and David Price, a former Cy Young Award winner, traded to the L.A. Dodgers. Uh, Alex Verdugo and others will be headed back to Boston. There were lots of moving parts to this trade as it broke down last night. Uh, But, Craig, there was an interesting comparison that you talked about on Twitter last night in regards to Giancarlo Stanton and Stanton being traded away from the Marlins, and sort of how we all reacted to when a former MVP was traded away. Now the Red Sox have done the same thing. So could you talk a little bit about that comparison and sort of your thoughts on this Mookie Betts trade as the Red Sox essentially try to just shed salary? Yeah, and I think that there is some level of apples and oranges to this, and I get that. Stanton was under contract for a long period of time, and at the time, he was potentially the face of, of Marlins baseball and the face of the franchise, of course, after the passing of Jose Fernandez. Uh, but, but, you know, I, I got to say, it's, it's really interesting because, and I, I know David Price is not pitching at the level that he did five years ago, uh, still, I think, a quality pitcher in the big leagues. They traded mm-hmm. a former MVP and a former Cy Young. And I know that the fans in Boston are probably upset but it's funny, like you don't really see the national media crushing the Red Sox as as much as they did the Marlins. And really, I mean, the Red Sox are kind of sending the same message. We got to, I don't know if the word is start over, but we got to like reset our finances and do what's needed to be done to get under this luxury tax. And maybe this is not a year that the Red Sox are going to compete. And I, I think that Vegas sort of agrees with that too, looking at, at some of those numbers as well. Uh, so I would say this, look, when, when Stanton was traded, it was a necessary thing to do. It basically, that trade saved the Marlins franchise. I mean, you guys may be laughing at that statement. It saved the Marlins franchise. That contract mm-hmm. was so backloaded, uh, immovable pieces. And, and that's not to say that Stanton isn't a viable player, although he didn't play last year, but, like just imagine having you know Chen and Prado for the next five years. No indictment on Wei Yin, who signed with Seattle. No indictment on Martin. We're waiting for him to decide what he's going to do. But hey, thirty million in on one player is is just crippling for any team that's in the position that the Marlins were going to be in. Miami is not a market, although we are a big size market. It's not a supported market. Has not been a supported market to this point. Mm-hmm. like New York, like Boston, like Philadelphia, like San Francisco, like St. Louis, and like so many other cities, I think, uh, in the country. So it'll be interesting to see what the response is to that. But I will say this, and I think that this is important for, I think, a lot of people to know from people that I've talked to within the Marlins organization, is that that Stanton contract, I don't think you will ever see any player playing in a Marlins uniform with. And by the way, I don't think that they will ever give out a contract that's even close to that Mm. again. So the notion that Mookie Betts will be a free agent and be asking for 300, 400 million, the Marlins will be out. Francisco Lindor, when, when he becomes a free agent, potentially if he continues along this path, I had mentioned that I thought that it would be a possibility. 
at this point, I got to say, I don't think so. I, I don't even know that, that my, that this market can support a $250 million player. So that may be something that upsets some people and perhaps maybe, you know, Oh no, that means the Marlins aren't going to spend money. No, I don't think that is the case. I just don't think that they're ever going to be in a position here in South Florida, given the nature of, of the market that supports baseball to support that kind of player. Do I think that in the future, uh, JJ Blade or Brian Anderson, and I, you know, I don't even know if Miami has that player that we can identify right now, but if they ever had a player, let's use Blade. If JJ Blade turned out to be an absolute superstar, do I think that they would give him a hundred million dollar contract or a hundred fifty million dollars? Yes, I do. I think that that would be a possibility. But when you're starting to talk money like Garrett Cole and Strasburg and Betts and Lindor, I got to keep it real. I just, I don't ever see that happening. I, I mm. think this is going to have to be done in, uh, in a, a Rays kind of way, an Oakland A's kind of way, at least for the time being until the market is completely flipped around here and everyone is supporting uh, the Marlins uh, off the field. And most importantly, uh, Jeremy, in attendance, I think that would have to significantly change for that support to kind of come. And I don't think it needs to be in reverse, by the way, because they tried that already once. They gave Stan right. the 300 million people still didn't go. So I think right. the people got to go first in order to get that. I mean, they tried the reverse, didn't work. Right. Well, and it's interesting, you know, you talk about the support on and off the field of the, Red, uh, of the Marlins franchise. The Red Sox seem to have that. And I mean... Uh, I'm not one to spend somebody else's money. Trust me. I'm not working in the, the millions or billions of dollars range. I don't understand how to get there. But the Fenway Sports Group, since John Henry took over the Red Sox, they, they've grown from $700 million and worth to $6.6 billion. They've had the incremental rise in the last 20 years that would allow you to believe if there was a single franchise other than the Yankees that could afford to pay for a player like Mookie Betts, it would be the Sox. So it's interesting to see the way that money's being spent by owners in Major League Baseball. Um, a couple of free agent acquisitions for the Marlins, not of the Mookie Betts caliber uh, in terms of contract, but productive pieces for the Marlins, and that's Brandon Kitzler and Matt Joyce, officially announced as part of the team this week. That means the Marlins DFA'd Harlan the Marlin, Harlan Garcia, and Jose Quijada. Uh, Craig, I'm wondering your thoughts on both ends of that side of the deals. Yeah, this is a little bit more uh, complicated, I think, than, than what's been out there yet. And I don't have all of the intricate details on it. And some of it is me piecing together little pieces of information that I was provided along the way. And so I'm going to have to categorize some of this as my speculation with some innuendo and fact baked in. I don't, I don't want to make sure that I, that I speak out of turn on this particular situation. But it did feel like, uh, okay, for the players – uh, Kinsler was somebody who they had targeted from the very beginning. I reported that, I think, almost three months ago. Mm -hmm. And along with Pedro Strobe, Rondone, uh, a couple other names are involved. If you go back on my timeline, you'll see all those names. I don't tweet as much as a lot of other people. It's pretty mm -hmm. easy to find on a scroll. Uh, so, uh, you know, Kinsler, as pretty much stated, he wanted to be here. They hold an option for him next year. And so they bring him in. He's going to hold the ninth inning duties. We've talked about the closer position in Miami before. For some teams, it's fluid. They'll use different guys in all likelihood with respect to uh, Marlins manager Don Mattingly. Wouldn't surprise me at all for him to stay. It's an open competition, and we're going to give it to different guys. He told us the same thing last year, and Sergio Romo was the closer. 
Okay. Right. So Brandon Kinsler is going to be the closer. We'll hear something different potentially, but we all know how that's going to work out. He likes to go to one guy. He's always used one guy. It's going to be one guy. Okay. And, uh, and then Matt Joyce was a surprising sign. I think that may have been one of the more surprising signs in, in the offseason for the Marlins because they had such a plethora of outfielders going into uh, spring training, and they're bringing in one more, which puts that number at almost 14. And, um, and then the biggest surprise, I think, of all of this, and no indictment on Joyce at all, but that the fact he was given a major league contract. Right. And, and I think that uh, little piece of information where uh, John Heyman reported that may have uh, potentially, and boy, I hate to say that anything in the media could have affected anything, but I think there's a chance that that may have altered the Marlins' plans for what they chose to do after that point. Now, to be hmm. clear, Kinsler and Joyce didn't take physicals until this past Monday. So any kind of idea that this was stretched out or was a long time is false. They literally passed their physicals on Monday. And so they made that decision right after Monday. Now the organization clearly had time to sort things out and figure things out once it was reported. But the problem with this is, and I, and I, I look, I'm just as responsible as anybody else in the media for this as well, is that when you get a piece of information like that, and you're telling people that Matt Joyce is getting a major league deal, it causes an organization to lose leverage with the other players that are on the roster. Because mm -hmm. let's say, for example, that Miami was in discussions potentially to trade, not Harlan Garcia, but somebody else. Right. And then all of a sudden, uh, this Craig Mish, you know, hypothetically <laughs> puts out, puts out, now it wasn't mine. I can't take responsibility for this. Right. Uh, this Craig Mish puts out that Matt Joyce is getting a major league deal you're the GM on the other end of the line mm. and you're like, Oh, you're going to cut this guy anyway. What do you mean? I'm not giving this guy up or I'm not going to trade this. Then all of a sudden your leverage is gone. Now I want to be clear. I don't know that that's exactly how this happened. And I can't say with definitive fact that this is exactly what played out, but there is definitely some element involved in what I'm saying here to how this all progressed. Mm. And there is no question that uh, some leverage was lost when, when, they, when every other team in the league knew that the Marlins had to add Joyce uh, to the major league roster. And so uh, that created the DFAs of Harlan Garcia and Jose Quijada. Quijada should pass through waivers. Garcia, I can't say that the team definitely has a deal done for him because, I mean, it, you know, teams have known for a week that they had to make a move and and here we are as we're recording this on Wednesday. They still haven't traded him. So, oh, look, Miami did well with the DFA on Dean. They did a good trade there. They got a, a player back who they really like a lot. In a couple of uh, years, we'll, we'll learn more about him. But whoever they do get back, Jeremy, it's pretty clear, is not going to be part of the 40-man roster. So this could be uh, a young minor league player or international money. Uh, my guess is when we see the return for Harlan Garcia, immediately people are going to say, oh, it's not good enough because, look, you're not, you're not adding a major league player. They can't put anybody else on the 40-man roster at this point, I don't think. So that's, uh, that's kind of what happened there, Jeremy, mm. I think. So, again, Man. again, information for sure on this. But let's also muddle in the fact that I don't have all the facts here, but I can tell you that with some speculation, there's also innuendo and, uh, and pieces to this. So that's kind of how I think this all went down.
And one thing we do know is that th- this bullpen will be essentially completely reshaped from where we were uh, last year as- at the end of the year and especially at the beginning of the year. Uh, another reported signing, uh, this was via Jeff Pass, and I'm just wondering your thoughts, is Sean Rodriguez signing a minor league deal with the Marlins? Any, any brief thoughts there on Rodriguez? Uh, yeah, good story for Sean Rodriguez, who's from South Florida originally. I'm, I'm guessing that this, you know, probably didn't have a lot of options and chose to come back to South Florida. Uh, if if I'm reading this correctly from what I think and have heard, uh, Rodriguez last year was willing to sign with the Phillies with the understanding that he uh, would would start off potentially at AAA. He did. He went to AAA, worked his way back into the big leagues. Uh, I, it's a it's a very nice story, and I'm a big fan of the player. I don't see a role for him, mm. so uh, you know John Birdie to me has has his role, and so if something was to happen to Birdie, certainly Rodriguez would factor in. Um, so I I there's a chance he could make the big league team, but I think that this is a player potentially that starts off at Wichita and is good insurance for the Marlins. Uh, if something goes wrong in the infield. So that's all I got on that. Yeah, I've heard some really good things about Sean Rodriguez, the person. Uh, you mentioned uh, when we just talked about Joyce uh, signing with the Marlins that it's now 14 outfielders uh, that are supposed to be at spring trading for the Marlins when you, when you factor in the 40-man roster and the non-roster invitees. That seems like possibly the biggest number in baseball. What's your thought process or or rather, what do you think the Marlins' thought process is in regards to bringing in so many outfielders to spring training? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, 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 look, I know that Major League Baseball teams have an idea as to who is going to be on their 26, now 26-man roster right. before spring training even starts, and I get that. But Miami had some roster battles last year. O'Brien fought Cooper right down to the end. They designated Dan Straley right at the end. So you can't say definitively that you know exactly who is going to be on the team. So this is the kind of question, and I don't know that I'll get a chance to uh, ask this one because Saturday is, is Fan Fest. And, you know, at least for, for our purposes, I'll have to ask behind the scenes on this one. And, of course, I'm taking my son to FanFest. Like, all mm-hmm. of your uh, mothers and fathers should be taking your kids to FanFest. That's what I will be doing on Saturday. So I don't know that I'll have a definitive answer before then. But I got to say, I, I think that this is too many. Like, I know competition is great for six or seven or eight or two. I don't know how they're all going to play. And, and what you're doing is you've invited J.J. Bleday to spring training. You've invited Gio Reincarnacion. You invited Jesus Sanchez, and you've invited 11 other players that could potentially be major leaguers. That doesn't include mm-hmm. VR, and it doesn't include Birdie, who, who I think needs to see some time in center field and in the outfield also. So I guess they'll sort it out, but I would hate to think that we would go into the season and wonder, oh, can this guy play the outfield, or he didn't get enough playing time in the outfield in the spring, and I get it. They're major league players. There's backfield work. There's split squad games. And perhaps I'm making too big a deal of, of that discussion. It's, it's possible. But it feels like a lot. And, again, I'm all for the competition of it. But it's an endless list, Jeremy, right. of, of players here. You know, like, of, of, you know, Matt Kemp is an on-roster invitee. He's there, too. I would assume he's got to have a spring of some kind. Right. Bats of some kind. And can you simulate that on the backfield? I mean, can you? I, I don't know. Maybe they feel like they can. You know, no one even talks about Harold Ramirez. He's still on the team. Right. Where, where is he going to play? Um, you know, Garrett Cooper had a fantastic year last year. 
uh, is he going to play first? Is he going to play the outfield? What, what, what's the what's the plan with him? Magnera mm-hmm. Sierra is on the Marlins, right? Lewis Lewis Brinson is still on the Marlins. Um, Yo know, Dickerson is the, is the left fielder. Like mm-hmm. I, I mean, Brian, is Brian Anderson playing too? Where are all these guys going to play? Fascinating. It's, in the spring, I, I, I don't. Now in the main, you know, when we get to the big league season, this will all sort itself out. But you can't just simply say, well, some of those guys will go to AAA. Because, yeah, Brian Miller will play in AAA, and Jesus Sanchez will play in AAA. Yeah, sure. Uh, Monte Harrison, are we going to see him too? Like, doesn't Monte need to have a really, you know, good spring? Like, don't we want to see Monte Harrison? Is Victor Victor Mesa playing this spring? I, 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 don't, I could keep going. I could keep yeah. going. There's a it, lot. It is There's a never-ending list. It is a never-ending list, and, I, and it's it's too big for me. It's too big for me. I, I look eleven, twelve, maybe, but it is crucial, especially with the center field position. I think being in flux here, I could make the case that VR or Bernie could be the opening day mm. starter, center fielder, and a starting center fielder. And you would want to see them too. So, uh, look, Don Mattingly has his work cut out for him with that. I would assume, and this will probably be a conversation that all just goes away pretty quickly but it does seem like a big number yeah especially when you notice how competition did work out last year how competition and that bats during the spring really dictated who ultimately ended up being the starting outfielder for the marlins and now you got 14 guys splitting at bats this offseason um before we wrap this up we'll have a chance on friday to speak with a few different marlins uh there's vr there's aguilar who are you most likely or most looking forward to speaking with on Friday? Yeah, I, I think uh, the interesting names are uh, Jesus Tagular and Jonathan VR because they have both uh, joined the Marlins in the offseason, and so you certainly want to get to know them a little bit. Uh, I'm curious on Aguilar, and since we're doing this podcast now, I'll let the cat out of the bag a little bit from what I've heard, and then, of course, we'll have to quantify this, so this will be a question not just from me, from me, but for everybody else. I've heard that he's lost weight. I've heard that the, the Marlins have him, at least when they signed him, they have him on some sort of diet or uh, regimen that's hoping to keep him in better shape. Aguilar is a very big guy, and we saw what happened to him last year. I don't know from the people in Milwaukee that weight had anything to do with it, the scouting reports that I've heard on him from around the league was that it's basically his lower half just went away last year. Now may, that maybe is because the upper half was too big. I don't know, mm-hmm. but the Marlins at least are trying to nip this in the bud immediately by getting him on to some sort of weight schedule. Now that proof will be individual on Friday when we have a chance to interview him. And then I'll make my at least initial determination on that. But that's what I heard. The other dynamic that's also interesting with this is I don't think that the club and I don't think that the player had any intention of going to arbitration over $250,000. I think they got to get this solved before mm. uh, arbitration hits because I don't think either side is particularly happy with the way that this went. So hopefully they're able to get that resolved because you don't ever want to bring in a player and start off an organization and be squabbling. I mean, a lot of money to you and me, Jeremy, but in Major League Baseball, mm. this is not a lot and really not a lot to go over uh, to arbitration with. But could be some... Uh, very light animosity there. Hopefully it gets solved before the time uh, the arbitration uh, meeting hits. So that's what I got on Aguilar. We'll keep a close eye on him and we'll keep a, cl- a close eye on his weight, which seems to be at least in the discussion. Well, between Aguilar and Cooper at first and all these outfielders, you know that Marlins spring training will be full of competition. 
Uh, before we wrap this up, anything that you would like to mention about the interview everyone is going to hear here on Swings and Mishes uh, in just a moment? Yeah, I mean, we, we always try to pride ourselves by having new people on, new guests on, and taking people behind the scenes within the organization. And as many of you know, uh, we pride ourselves here on having not just players from the Marlins organization on, but executives and people that are behind the scenes. And while I do feel like my relationships within the organization, both player and executive-wise, are very strong, there's no possible way that I could accomplish what I want to accomplish without having the help from the communication staff. And that's both at the ballpark and here on the podcast. And so how does that happen? What are some of the things that happen behind the scenes in media and communications, uh, the organizational direction as far as that is concerned, both on radio and TV and everything else that's involved in that with the community, how the community can engage the Marlins. I thought, why not bring in, the uh, Vice President of Communications, uh, Jason Latimer, for this episode. He's never been on uh, this podcast. I don't believe he's been on any podcast or radio show. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but we'll have to ask. So looking forward to this interview. And then, of course, we will talk every week from now until the end of the baseball season. You're right. Yes, we will. We're getting right to it. And so enjoy this interview with Jason Latimer. Before we get to our interview, guys, baseball season is on its way which means you guys are about to be spending a lot more time outdoors. And it can get hot. And that means it can get uncomfortable, especially below the belt. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about hair. That's why Manscaped has redesigned and perfected the electric trimmer with their new Lawnmower 3.0. Look, I know it can be sort of uncomfortable to bring up the discussion around men's grooming, but that's why I'm bringing this chat right to you. Forget the awkward in-person conversations trying to find the right trimmer or razor. Just go to manscaped.com and use our code SWINGS to get 20% off and free shipping. I'm telling you this from experience. They sent me the product. I used it, and I'll never be going back. Just some of the great new features include a ceramic blade to avoid cuts and scrapes and nicks, a 90-minute battery, an LED light for better sight line, and a USB charging stand. I mean, it's really simple. Whether you're dating, married, single, anywhere in between, guys, we want to be clean. So make manscaping accidents a thing of the past. If you're listening to me speak right now, you're actually one of the very first people to hear about this legitimately life-changing product. I want you to experience it firsthand for yourself. Like I said, I've tried it, and I'm not going back. So when you do go to the site, feel free to tweet me at Jeremy Taché and let me know what you think. I I'm serious. Trim all that junk right off yours. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code SWINGS at manscaped.com. You'll be thanking yourself. So again, 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the promo code SWINGS. All right, there's a lot going on within the Marlins organization. And a lot of times I like to take people behind the scenes here on the podcast because clearly as a member of the South Florida media who covers uh, the Marlins and covers Major League Baseball, we have engagement with people within the organization, uh, you know, certainly with help with doing interviews, and there's so much going on also off the field that people don't know about. So to discuss that, we bring in the Vice President of Communications and Broadcasting, Jason Latimer, here to the podcast. Jason, thank you so much. I believe this is the first time that we've had you here on this podcast, and uh, is, this, is this the first podcast you've done? since uh, joining the organization two years ago. I'm not sure about that one. 
Hey, Craig. Uh, thanks for having me. It's always been interesting to be on the other side listening to you record these. Um, <laughs> but yeah, first first time, I guess, long time listener. Uh, but no, uh, you know, we do our own podcast. So I have made a couple appearances on our Beyond the Basis podcast. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that yeah, you guys do a great job with that one as well. Uh, this one, of course, is is done by me It's done by Jeremy. We take pride in in trying to cover the Marlins as best as we possibly can. And I want to kind of, uh, you know, start off with that because for people who don't know, you went to the University of Florida uh, a, little bit a little bit after I did. So we have uh, the Gator connection in common there. Uh, but beyond that, your experience in communications is pretty wide ranging. And I know that you've really done it on both, both spectrums. You've done it here in Florida with the Tampa Bay Rays. You did it in New York with the New York Yankees. So you've really, before you joined the Marlins, you had a chance to kind of see it, I think, from both sides. Uh, so over the last couple of years, having that experience of working on the end of both spectrums is being here in South Florida and doing communications and broadcasting here in South Florida more or less what you expected with the Marlins? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, as you mentioned, I've, I've been very fortunate in my career path and been a part of some unique stuff. And, you know, I was, I started out as an intern with the devil rays as they were then uh, and became the rays, which was, I guess, interesting to parallel to now, because while I was there, we did go through an ownership change. So I, I was able to kind of take from that experience and how that organization went through changing over from the, the Namoli ownership uh, to the current Sternberg ownership. And the way that market kind of has a, a similar I guess, complicated history with their team as well. Um, I think there's a similar parallel there, um, but obviously this South Florida market here is, it's, it's a unique animal. And, uh, you know, I think that, that drawing upon, like you said, drawing upon the early days of the Rays and then knowing that, that we're going to take this organization to be a first-class organization and be uh, on the same path where the Yankees are, I think I can bring a lot, uh, have brought a lot of, of experience into this role and, you know, kind of taking that to heart is how we kind of handle and, and reach out to the media and interact with the media like yourselves. Now, the, the last couple of years is, is when I decided to launch this podcast because, like you, I felt it was time to kind of go into the digital age of broadcasting. And we've seen podcasting become so popular to think that everyone would have had a podcast 10 years ago as opposed to an AM radio show to me would have been unthinkable. I was in the South Florida AM broadcasting realm for two decades, both uh, 790 The Ticket. I worked there for almost 10 years, WQAM. I worked there for almost three years. And then after that was all said and done, I went over to 940 and I worked, uh, you know, filled in with them. But it's a, it's a different kind of direction that we're headed, Jason, in media. And having the experience that you had and seeing that both with the Rays and with the Yankees, where do you think that we're headed as far as media and broadcasting is concerned, and specifically as it pertains to the Marlins? Yeah, I think it's a great question. Um, and if, if you have the answer, please do share. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, listen, I, I'm a big believer in podcasts. I remember back in probably 2013, 2014, 2012 even maybe, I was very gung-ho on wanting to start a podcast. Um, couldn't quite get it off the ground with the Yankees. And uh, I think now for those that are in the podcast world, you see the success of uh, something like the R2C2 uh, podcast that came out where CC Sabathi was doing it with Ryan Rucco, and I think they do a tremendous job there. 
Um, I, I'm a, like I said, I'm a big fan of the podcast world. Um, I think we've become in the media um, very niche in how consumers consume their news. Uh, we know what we want and we know where to get it from. Uh, so it becomes increasingly more difficult to kind of reach out to the uh, new listener or the new consumer uh, to get their ears or their eyes and get their attention uh, to share your story with them. Uh, so I think the podcasting is part of that, like the niche um, angle that I was mentioning. Obviously, social media plays a big role. And I think that it's becoming multiple, not to use a, a phrase from coaching staff, but you have to be multiple, uh, where you have to be able to kind of juggle the traditional media who still has a, a little bit of bite and some reach and, and this new age media that's coming across and continues to grow and change almost daily. All right, Jason, let's, uh, let's kind of dive in a little bit deeper here. Now, the South Florida media in general over the last 20 years has been very fickle in terms of its coverage with the Marlins. As you know, the Marlins won the World Series in 1997, and they won in 2003. And when the team was sold, this was probably what some perceived as a teardown and a rebuild, or as CEO Derek Jeter has said, a build of the organization. And so you've basically been at the forefront of enduring and having to endure the way that the media has been covered in that space, where it basically looks like, here we go again. What are your thoughts on the way that the Marlins are covered? What are your thoughts on the ways that they've been covered initially when you got to the team? And do you think that both the local media and national media are fairly covering the Marlins at this point? Um, you know, I think that you've, you've heard us, and by us, I, I mean mainly our CEO, say that, that there's a complicated history that exists between the city and this baseball team. And I think that holds true with the media as well. And I think a lot of that does go back to trust. We continue to engage and earn the trust of our fans as much as possible. Uh, and I think that you know, there's a parallel path with the media as well. Um, they need to trust that what we're saying um, and that what we're doing is genuine and true. Um, and, you know, I think that, you know, what, what we have gone through, I think that from day one, we made promises and we have kept every single one of those promises and we're going to continue to make promises and we're going to continue to fulfill those promises. And we are not going to make promises that we cannot keep. And I think that goes true with the media as well. You know, there's, there's a tendency, I think, to, to cover this team in their pasts and, and kind of how that, not to repeat myself, but that complicated history has been there with, you know, the, the winning and then the teardown and the winning and the teardown, um, the new ballpark and the teardown. Um, you know, I think what, what we've got here is we've got some purpose that's going on behind our, our build. And, you know, when we say we're doing it the right way, we are doing it the right way. And I think that that's very evident. Uh, with the results that we've seen come through with our minor league system and then the advancements even on the major league side this year. So, you know, I think it is about earning that trust. I think that we have done a great deal in our department here, and I'm, I'm very proud of the work that we've done, uh, especially on the local front with our media and engaging with them and really, you know, opening our arms as much as we could um, to bring them in and invite them in and give them an inside look and um, and really have a lot of conversations and and really honest conversations with them about how we think, you know, they should cover the team and how they think they should cover the team. And, you know, I, I wouldn't say, obviously, I can't sit here and say, you know, we're happy with everything that has transpired because that would be false. But 
um, you know, I think we, we take a lot of chances to celebrate the, the success and, and take advantage of the opportunities uh, that have come our way. And I think that we have made a lot of progress. Um, I think the fans have probably seen that as well. Not to sound too long-winded, but it goes beyond just the guys on the field. You know, we've got so much that we're doing off the field in the community and in the ballpark and investing in the cost of the fan experience and, you know, and, and really trying to present ourselves as a very, one of South Florida's most affordable entertainment options. And you're going to continue to hear us say that over and over again. And that's, again, that's something that we, you know, hope the media opens their arms and eyes to, uh, to share with fans because certainly, you know, we want everybody to be a part of this. This is the, the community scheme, and, and they have to realize that eventually that there's really a lot of great stuff going on here. And, you know, we can't just stick our heads in the sand and pretend that this is the same thing as has happened in the past. Yeah, and, and, I, and again, before Jeremy jumps in here, uh, you said something that I want to myself to jump back in on. So you, you know that you know, uh, media relations cannot necessarily control um, what is covered. But if you had your druthers, if, you, if, if, if this was Jason Latimer saying, hey, this is what I think. This is what I think that the local media uh, should be doing more of. Not how, but should be doing more of. If you had your choice, what would that be? Like, give me an example of, of what you would like to see more of. Because as you know, a lot of my counterparts are listening to this right now, Jason. There's no doubt about that. Like, a lot of the media, both local and national, listen to this podcast. So they would like to know. And so this is the platform for that. So give me an example. Yeah, and again, I, I don't want to, um, I don't want to besmirch any efforts or what anybody's doing. I think, you know, I think everybody's got a very difficult job, and everybody's got a boss that they have to be responsible to. And, you know, I, I think that what has happened in the past, um, especially in this market, you know, and I hear it a lot, is, well, I'll show up when they start winning. You know, they're uh, Miami wants a winner. Um, you know, and, and I, I think that the media. Um, and the fans should be proud of the fact that this is one of the very few markets and I guess in the, na in the nation across the world probably that has um, all four major sports that exist, plus more. There's this great um, appetite for sports here, and we know it exists, and we believe in this market, um, and we believe that there's a lot of baseball fans here. And I think that I think there can be a, a better effort to feed into just the blanket fandom and what fandom is and pride for, you know, having a team that wears Miami across its chest and that is out there and, and is making efforts and is doing this the right way and is a part of this community that deserves that that chance to be um, beloved and to be to be covered in a positive manner to share all these stories and i know budgets are tight and i know that time is tight as well but uh any chance that we can get to i think kind of reset a little bit and just kind of step back and recognize that uh, you know the marlins amongst all the other teams you know this is this is miami's team you know there's a lot of pride that exists within these walls and i think that that, that we share that with a lot of the fans that are out there that uh, maybe are sitting on the sidelines that, you know, we, we would love for you to engage with us and kind of just dip that toe back in and give us a try and uh, recognize that, that, you know, we want to build that trust and we want to be there for you and, and we want to make you proud. Hey, Jason, it's Jeremy now. I'm uh, sure. intrigued by what you were saying there about connecting with the fans. And you were talking earlier about the way that media has evolved. And, and one of the ways that that has gone down is through social media. And obviously, you guys have your own internal social media at Marlins on, on all platforms. And 
I've noticed in the last few years, especially since you've been involved with the organization, the tone of social media has sort of changed with the Marlins and become a little more personable. And I'm wondering what thought process went behind that and sort of what your guys' thought process is in general behind the social media with the Marlins. Yeah, thanks, Jeremy. Um, yeah, at Marlins across all handles. Uh, give us a follow. Check us out. Um, yeah, that was that was something that we put a concerted effort in. I'm not going to say necessarily day one, but it was early on where we knew that, you know, that that's a direct contact to fans. And no offense to you guys at all, but there's zero filter that exists there. Um, and that's that's our best way to actually just have a conversation with fans straight up. Um, you know, we can't be everywhere and we can't talk to everybody at the same time. Um, but if we can reach, you know, hundreds of thousands of people um, at one time, that's a pretty strong benefit to our organization. So we did make a concerted effort where, you know, we evaluated kind of best practices and what was going on in the market and what some other teams had seen, um, especially in baseball, their success. And then we've continued to kind of look outside of baseball, even into other brands and, you know, what are brands doing that, that they're seeing success with? Um, Sarah uh, Penalver on our team uh, has done a tremendous job kind of leading that charge. And um, uh, yeah, I think you did see that change in, in tone and, and how we approached it. And I think we're going to continue to adapt. Like I said earlier, you know, you see social every day. Um, it, 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 what's cool and what's trendy changes almost by the hour uh, sometimes. Uh, so, you know, we got to keep up with that and we, we need to be cutting edge and we need to, uh, do our best to tell our story through that channel and through all those channels um, as best as we can. And when we have to be, I think it goes back to what I was saying earlier about earning trust. Uh, you know, we got to earn those eyeballs and we have to earn those ears. And, you know, one way to do it is just to kind of sit somebody down and tell them your story. Um, and like I said, you can't do that with every, you know, all of the millions of people here in the market. But, you know, if we can do that through social media, that's a very powerful tool for us. So we're going to get to uh, FanFest here in a couple of minutes for those of you who are, are waiting for that information and also the Marlins New Rewards Program, um, which, which I dove into last night. I'll tell you my experience directly uh, as far as that goes because so, uh, I signed up last night. I have a young son who enjoys going to the games, as I've talked about several times on the podcast. We're going to get to that. But while we have Jason here, I, I think it's important to note, again, that Jason and his team on the communications department are very important liaisons to do what we are able to do. And historically speaking, covering the Marlins, and this is certainly no indictment on any of the employees that cover the Marlins, but they were, you know, some of the players were not always as accessible or easy to get to. And this just goes back historically where it was a uh, player driven media. I felt sometimes, and uh, it was you know sometimes just tough to get these guys to talk uh, the Marlins players, um, as as uh, as Derek Jeter and the organization has said, uh, hold themselves accountable. And I have had a good experience covering all of these players. There's never been a time where I have been turned down for an interview almost, I can't think of ever in the last two years that this has happened. And even in situations, a perfect example is last year where uh, the Braves were getting ready to face uh, Jose Urania. I thought it would be uh, interesting to speak to Arania. I thought, wow, this guy's going to turn me down or I'm not going to get a chance to interview him. And it was basically, and I believe it was Jason uh, who just said, yeah, no, just go talk to him. It was right there. He did. And we aired here on the podcast. And so that's just one example of many ways that uh, the Marlins are allowing their players to engage with the media and with their fans as well. But I think that on top of that, uh, part of your job, Jason, is basically being uh, a liaison also for the uh, newly minted Hall of Famer and the CEO of the Marlins, uh, Derek Jeter, who you know, clearly 
is uh, one of the best players of all time. And with anything that is said or discussed with the CEO, it is making news everywhere, whatever he does. If he walks to the left, he, why, should, why didn't he go to the right? If he walks to the right, why didn't he go to the left? It's just, it's constant. And not, not from a negative point of view, but from a positive point of view also, people want to speak to Derek Jeter. People like myself want to speak to Derek Jeter. And so I can only imagine with you being that liaison essentially to uh, set up these interviews, that these interview requests must come into you every day, if I'm assuming correctly. And I'm wondering that from your perspective, having that relationship uh, that you have to have with the boss, how you decide which interviews get done uh, and and that role that you have where basically you're, uh, I would assume, uh, approaching your boss and saying, hey, here's an interview that request that you have, here's one that I think that you should do, and what that must be like for you to have that experience directly with him. Yeah, I, I think, you know, obviously, I think he started with, with Derek there, and that's, a, a you know, obviously a, a higher recognized name, um, but it, it goes much beyond him, Craig, and it's, you know, it's all of our players and other executives that that holds true with. Um, and the process doesn't change, you know, there's a, an evaluation process that happens within our department where, you know, yeah, you receive a request and you, you know, you review the request and you get as much information as possible. And then a discussion takes place. And, you know, we want, you know, we want people talking about us. We think we have a lot of great things to talk about and we have a lot of great stories to tell. So, um, you know, finding which avenue might work best and, um, you know, which, which opportunity we definitely need to take advantage of and which other ones maybe we need to um, save for another time or look into a little further. Um, you know, if I can go back to your um, kind of how you started the question, you know, I've, I've been very fortunate in my career to work for a few just incredible people that are well known throughout the industry. And Rick Vaughn down in Tampa and Jason Zillow up in New York. And, you know, it was great to learn a lot from them and see them in action. And, you know, I think part of that is just being as accountable as possible. We have a, a a program that we run each spring where it's not media training per se, but it's just media preparation. That's something that I pride myself on. And I know that Derek does as well. And, and a lot of our executives and, and a lot of our players as well, um, all our players, you know, you want to be prepared just like you're going into a game. You want to be prepared for what you're talking about. And, you know, we, we have a lot of conversations with our players, you know, about, you know, their, their role as a major league baseball player. Um, and the same holds true for myself and, and our executives. You know, we, we, we need to be accessible. Uh, it's imperative that we're honest and we need to be accountable for our actions. Uh, so I think that that kind of runs its course, you know, from top to bottom, uh, bottom to top throughout our organization. And, uh, you know, working even down in the player development um, and through the minor leagues where, you know, guys are coming up, we, we, we have these conversations with them so that when they come up, they understand that, um, media relations and interviews, that's part of their job. Um, you know, it doesn't end when they cross the, the foul line. Uh, it extends into the clubhouse. And, you know, that's something that we all feel is very important for all of us to, to take to heart. Uh, okay, so um, the last thing on the, like, um, the, the, the unknown side is uh, from a media perspective, and we talked about the digital side, Jason, uh, radio-wise mm-hmm. and TV-wise, uh, where are we headed here uh, with with Marlins uh, play-by-play coverage, radio-wise and TV-wise? The TV side has been talked about a lot, and everyone is kind of wondering: Are there negotiations? How is that going? What is what is that contract going to look like? And then uh, radio-wise, I know earlier today you you made an announcement on that. 
Yeah, so, I mean, as far as the TV is concerned, I, I obviously can't get into too much there. You know, there's ongoing negotiations that exist between the Marlins and, and outlets. So, I guess focusing more on the radio side where I have a little bit more involvement in. Um, yeah, we announced that we extended with iHeart uh, for a multi-year deal <clears throat> to be our flagship station. So, you know, fans that have tuned into 940 to listen to the Marlins baseball, um, don't change the dial. We'll be right back there. Uh, starting February uh, 22nd, we have our uh, first game at, at the Mets. Um, and even this weekend for FanFest, we have a live broadcast going uh, from the West Plaza from 4 to 6 p.m., although I think that one's going to air on IOD uh, because our, our friends of the Florida Gators are playing basketball that day. Yeah. Uh, but, um, uh, yeah, so, so you know, I think that, you know, our, our focus with that relationship is is that, you know, the iHeart brand is very strong in this market especially, um, and it goes beyond just that AM station. Um, you know, they've got a lot of influence on the FM dial. And that's, you know, we want to exist there as well. We are a, a mainstream entertainment brand and we, we prod ourselves of that and we intend to execute on that. So, um, you know, we want people talking about our players and about our, our brand and our offerings here at the ballpark um, beyond just those baseball avids that exist that, that love the game. You know, there are families and there are um, kids and there are college students um, that might just be looking, you know, for, for entertainment and they need to look at Marlins Park because what's happening here is, is probably one of the more, if not the most affordable entertainment options for families. Um, so, you know, we want to make sure that that message is heard, not just on that AM station uh, during our games when we play, but, um, you know, around the clock on as many ways as possible. Yeah, and there, I know a good post game host. If you guys ever decide to do like a post game, <laughs> I could, I could know we something. got a we got a post game show. We got, yeah, we got no we got like a call in show. You know, I know, I know. People want to talk baseball after the game. I know they do. It's great. It's great. That's the thing. Is it, it, listen, that passion exists. Um, you know, jump in and give us a try. That's I think that's that's what we keep kind of saying. You'll hear us say some more. Like, come check it out. You know, you don't have to commit to. You know, if you don't want to commit, don't commit. That's fine. But you know, come over and check it out. Don't just sit on the sidelines and and say, oh, well, it's the same thing. It's happening again because it's not. Um, you know, I know. There's, there's, you said that already. There's changes listen, there's, and there's, there's, there's an A. That, listen, there, people are driving home from the game. They want to hear a show and a call-in show to talk about the intricacies of the game. Right. You, got, you right. bring in Craig Mish. He does that. He breaks, <laughs> he breaks down. He doesn't require it to, you know, listen, he doesn't, he doesn't need to get a, paid a lot. You know, just something to talk about it and, and break the game. Listen, I, I'll, I'll, I don't know. I'll, take, I'll take it up the chain. Yeah, I'll take it up the chain. We'll see. Please, please, please do. Please do. Okay. Uh, so last night I'm on the, the uh, ballpark app. Uh, I, I saw uh, the app. It said, it said to me, uh, Marlins Rewards. Marlins Rewards is the new app. Oh, I'm sorry, the new website that you guys have that's going to reward people. Uh, I'm mm -hmm. in the media, so I'm like, uh, I don't know. Like, I mean, let me just let me, it says it takes three minutes. Less than three minutes, I think. Less so than three less, minutes. Yeah. Less than three. So let me go on there. Let me see what this is about. And I'm not all that interested because for me, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm covering the games. But then all of a sudden I see, hey, if you download this, you automatically get some points and you mm -hmm. get a fast pass for FanFest. So I'm in. So at that point, I'm like, <laughs> okay, you know, I know what those lines can be like. So I yeah. downloaded it. It took, it took two minutes for me. Uh, and only two minutes because I couldn't remember my password immediately. And then... I got it, and now on my phone, Jason, I have the Marlins rewards, and I now also have a fast pass for one of the several uh, lines that you guys are offering Saturday. Now, I'm wondering, what do you think the best idea to use that fast pass is for people who download mm. that? Because uh, the ones that I'm looking at, and I don't know what they are, 
and so we can dive into FanFest here, is a home, I saw a kids' home run derby, and mm-hmm. that, that interested me. And then I saw selfies, and I figured those are probably the two longest lines. Like, I have my Disney hat on here for a minute. Like, I'm trying <laughs> to think, like, which ride would I really want to use it for? So there's so <laughs> yeah so all right so start, the home run rewards first of all two minutes great so we timed it at less than ninety seconds for those that can't remember their password exactly. um, yeah. so yeah marlins.com/rewards or download the ballpark app and check out home run rewards uh, but yeah new new program that we're rolling out this year it has been uh, exclusive to Marlins members our season ticket holders um, but we uh, we really wanted everybody to get involved and uh and join the fun so uh we're opening it up to everybody um it still remains um kind of a preferred benefit for those that are members you know they if, if you sign up for a membership you get more points um the more engaging that you do with the marlins um, but for just the fan that maybe wants to come to a few games get your rewards download it now uh sign up you get the 100 points like craig said and you just start accumulating points for a variety uh, of ways that you engage with us um, including even just walking into the ballpark um, and you can redeem them for fan experiences. We got, you know, there's exclusive access, there's signed memorabilia. Uh, so you can check out all the rewards on the website there that you can qualify for. Um, and yeah, if you do it now, you get the fast pass. Um, you get to come to FanFest and you can utilize your fast pass. Um, I think the selfie station is really cool personally. Um, as an inside track, I will tell you that there will be a, um, an activation that is called, um, well, I'm going to mess the name up here. I think it's a, a wall dive. Um, where there's a platform and we have a replica of the outfield wall and you can jump and rob a home run mm. and jump into a pit. Uh, it's like a foam pit. Um, and there's a, a, a camera to capture your action that'll um, either it's a, you need to do a photo or you can do a gif of you diving. Um, I think that's pretty cool. I think that's going to be pretty popular. Um, also, you mentioned the home run derby. Yeah. Check that one out too. Uh, a lot of places to use it, um, and each one of those stations will have Marlins players. So uh, I think that's one of the unique, unique things, and um, I think we do we go above and beyond here at Marlins Park um, for FanFest is that uh, no matter which activation you're at, um, there will be a Marlins player there. Um, so, I, you know, I think that's unique, and, and you know, we, certainly we, we want the fans to come out and join us on Saturday. Uh, it's 3 to 7 p.m., and, uh, you know, I think there's tons of family fun. I just mentioned a few things, but um, there's also one that's a steel home challenge where you can uh, race against the clock uh, to run the 90 feet from third base to home plate. So uh, a lot of cool, a lot of cool ways that you can you can hang out with the family and and have some fun and 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 see all of our players. And it's free, completely free. Everything free, is free. Completely free. Parking is free. Entrance is free. You just got to get your ticket. So uh, Marlins.com slash fan uh, download your ticket because uh, uh, they will scan it upon entry uh, and then get your rewards too. Um, you come out, you get rewarded. Uh, you get points just for coming out and, uh, and checking it out. So great way to spend Saturday afternoon. And, and just so I'm clear, uh, the 40-man roster of the Miami Marlins will be there as well as the uh, participants from the captain's camp. And for those you know, average fans who may not be that familiar, because let's be honest, there, there are a lot of those is that the captain's camp are uh, the, what is considered, I, I, I guess, the future of the Marlins organization uh, within player development and in the minor leagues. They will all be there as well. Am I correct with that? Yes, sir. Yeah, huge names coming out um, that you've seen kind of get a lot of publicity. Where J.J. Bladé, our you know, first-round pick, uh, both of the Mesa brothers will be there. Cam Meisner will be here. Um, Alex Vessia, who uh, hasn't a lot of run in like a year. 
uh, will be here. So you can meet all the new guys that you know, you're going to see their names and you're going to see them here playing at Marlins Park, hopefully in the very near future. Uh, plus, yeah, the entire 40-man roster, which includes all your favorites. Well, Jason, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Hopefully you enjoyed it as much as we did. And certainly uh, thank you personally uh, for your assistance, both uh, at the field and at times with this podcast also to make sure that we cover the Marlins uh, as thoroughly and properly as we can. And I look forward to continuing that. Thank you again for coming on. Thank you, Craig. Go Marlins.